Before I forget, and I'm at that age now where I tend to do that quite a bit, um, I want to tell you about next week. The next Sunday is the Sunday before Christmas, and it's an excellent opportunity for all of us to invite someone to come to church. Uh, People who would normally never go to church seem to be open for some reason or another to go to church either, you know, the Sunday before Christmas or on Easter Sunday. So let me encourage you, if you know of someone who doesn't attend church regularly, to invite them to come along with you. What I'm planning on doing next week is uh, the sermon is going to be titled Christmas Gifts, and it's going to be a very plain, simple, evangelistic message. I plan on using a lot of humor, at least what I consider humor, okay, and uh, so, because that kind of sweetens, you know, that spoonful of sugar thing, you know. Uh, So let me encourage you to invite someone to come out next week with you. Right now, we are in between pastors. And we we can do one of two things. Either we can slack off and kind of coast, you know, and wake up on Sunday morning. Do I really want to go to church today or should I just hit, you know, the snooze and go back to sleep and, and, and just kind of wait until God reveals who our new pastor is going to be? Or we can really use this time to strengthen ourselves spiritually so that when we do have our new pastor, he's going to find us ready to move on to the next level of where God wants to take us. As I have contemplated what I wanted to preach, I'm in kind of a unique position. I have a limited number of sermons that I can give. You know, when the pastor comes, you know, he he just... You know, he can just preach forever and ever and ever and ever as long as he stays, you know. Uh, For me, I know my time is short. And so what I've tried to do is to find topics that I feel are probably the most important topics. You know, if I only had six months to preach, which I only do, or less, you know, these are the sermons that I would want to, to get out, the messages I really want to communicate. There's a lot of preaching today out there on the, on the topic of, you know, we all need to be more godly people. We need to be more spiritual. But what I have found is that there's not a lot out there on how to do that. Uh, you know, preachers sometimes get, get long on the what and short on the how. As parents, we sometimes fall into that category Two, okay? Um, I want us to, to talk today and over the weeks to come, with the exception of Christmas, a little bit about the dynamic of how we become the godly individuals that God wants us to be. And I want to start today by talking about the idea of trials and tribulations and testings and sufferings and problems. Is there anybody who doesn't have any of that going on in their life right now? Yeah, I'm putting my hand down. Okay. Something that's common to all of us. Christmas 
is a time where we are told we are to be happy, we're to be joyful, we're to celebrate. You know, you watch the commercials on TV. Even people are going to the store are happy. Now, that's not what I see in the store, okay? But, you know, it, it, we're being told this is the time to be happy, and we're going, why don't I feel that? How come I'm not just overflowing with joy and the Christmas spirit and all of that? This morning I want to talk, like I said, about this idea of why are there testings and trials and suffering and problems that's going on in my life? It's going on in your life. If you brought your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. Pastor John has got some back there. I want us this morning to get God's perspective of something. And that perspective has to do with our trials and testings in life. We start off with a warning. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Be careful when you think you stand. Notice it says you're thinking you're standing. You know, we, we can be a little bit deluded sometimes uh, in our understanding of what it means to, uh, to stand. But I think what it's saying here is when the pressure's off, when you think you got it all together, when there's no real problems in your life, when this happens, be on your guard. Be alert. Why? Why do you think that is? Well, it's kind of been my experience that when things are going smoothly in my life, when I don't have any real problems, you know, big problems anyhow, that I, in those times there is the temptation to become proud and there's a temptation to be dependent upon my own resources instead of God's. You know, when things are all falling apart, we go rushing to God, and we say, oh, God, help, 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 help. You know? But when things are going well, we have a tendency to just kind of ignore God. You know? Well, let's see, have any problems in my life? No, I don't. Well, okay, don't need God today. You know? A while back, and I'm talking a year or so ago, I did a message on humility. And we saw that pride was the greatest hindrance to godliness. And therefore, God has to deal with our pride. God has a wonderful grace that he uses to deal with our pride. And that grace is called pressure. Now, we usually don't think of pressure as a grace of God, but really, it is. You say, well, now, am I proud? Well, let's just take a little inventory this morning. Are you ready? No, you're not, are you? <laughs> you don't want to hear this, do you? As Christians, we have a temptation that 
the unsaved don't have. And that temptation is to become proud of our spirituality. To become proud of our knowledge of the Bible. To become proud of our theology. To become proud of our religiousness, our attendance in church, our Bible reading, or our prayer. See, Satan can take anything and turn it into pride. In, I grew up in the Bible church movement. And one of the things I found that, that there was a huge focus on knowing the Word of God. I mean, we taught the Word of God. And as a result, there was a tendency for us to become proud of our Bible knowledge. Therefore, I think problems, trials, testings, temptations are an especially appropriate grace of God because nothing forces us to get our theology out of our head and into our lives more than those trials and tribulations. Many Christians have much in their heads, but so little in their life that they walk around top-heavy. You know, I got all this knowledge up here. You know, it's great. You know, when I die and God says, you know, how much did you know? I'm going to really, really do well, okay? Surely God's not going to ask me how much of that knowledge I actually put into practice. Circumstances that force us by faith to apply that which we know in our mind are absolutely necessary in order to develop our personal godliness. So as I look at verse 12 here, some people see this as a warning. Warning, warning. If you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. I don't see that so much as a warning as I see it as a promise. A promise from God. You know? Hey, if you get to the place where you think you're standing, guess what? I'm going to help you out. Okay? Let's look at the next verse. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has taken you except what is common to mankind. Now, look at that word temptation. In the Greek, the word that we have, temptation, is a word that means to squeeze under pressure. For instance, let's say you want to make lemonade. What do you do? You know, you cut the lemon in half, you put it in this machine, and you, you squeeze it under pressure in order to squeeze out all the juice. That's basically the idea of the word here. It's broader than just the word temptation. As we think of temptation, we just think of some kind of tempting to, to sin type of a thing. The word can be translated tempted, tempted, tested. It can have the idea of suffering or just being under a lot of pressure. Now, I know what pressure is. It happens every December 24th, Okay when I go out and buy Christmas presents, okay? And then if the pressure wasn't enough, every night on December 24th, I'm under the pressure of wrapping those Christmas presents, okay? 
Now, there should be a solution to that. I haven't figured out what it is yet, okay? But, you know, that's one form of pressure. In fact, suffering or pressure comes into two categories. There is deserved suffering, okay? Deserved suffering is suffering we bring upon ourselves by sin. When we violate God's commands and we suffer the consequences, that's, that's deserved pressure. Okay, that's eating a pizza with anchovies before going to bed. Any suffering I experience is well-deserved, okay? That's not the type of pressure it's talking about here. It's not talking about the suffering that we experience by abusing drugs or alcohol or eating or sex or whatever. It's talking about undeserved suffering here. This is suffering that is allowed by God, and it's not for anything you did. And I believe this is related to our spiritual development, our growth. Have you heard the word breaking? As in, God wants to break us? Why would God want to break us? I have found that until we are truly broken by God, that we're not totally available to God. Until we have come to helplessness, we're not really in the position of going to God for his help. There's two different types of help. Let me illustrate it this way. When I was, when I was a young lad, I was in Boy Scouts. And one of the things we had to do in Boy Scouts is every week when we came to the Boy Scout meeting, we had to tell the Scoutmaster, you know, what did we do? What good deed did we do for the week? And I never did any, so I just lied. Uh, and I said, I helped the little old lady across the street. Yeah, that was my standard one there. Helped the little old lady across the street. Now, that usage of the word help meant that the little old lady actually did most of the work. I, you know, supposedly grabbed her by the arm or something like that. There's another sense of the word help. And that is to help someone who's totally helpless. Okay? If I were to come to someone who, who couldn't walk, for instance, and I threw him over my shoulder and carried him across the street, I helped him cross the street, that would be helping someone who is helpless. As long as we think that we have some strength of our own, that we can do things our own, all we need is just maybe 10% of God's help. We haven't come to the place of brokenness yet. We haven't come to the place where we're totally dependent upon God. For instance, those of you who have received Jesus Christ as your Savior, when you prayed, did you say, God, I'm able to 90% save myself. I just need your extra 10% to get saved. Is that how it went? No. It said, God, I am totally helpless. I am unable to save myself at all. I need your salvation 100%, the work of Jesus Christ on the cross for me. 
That is helplessness. And the Bible says, as you receive Christ Jesus, so walk ye in him. And the Christian walk is also a walk of helplessness. It's saying, God, I can't do the 90%. I can't do 50%. I can't do 10%. Lord, I am completely dependent upon you. And until we come to the place of being broken, we will never come to the place where God can help us. Because as long as we're trying to help ourselves, God says, I'll just stay out of the picture until you really need me. Until you come and say, I can't do it, God. I need you. I need you to do it. Go over to 2 Corinthians. If you are going through a lot of struggles, a lot of trials in your life, may I encourage you to read the book of 2 Corinthians? When I am really down, when I am really struggling, I go to 2 Corinthians because there's so much good there, so much good that helps me. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. says, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that, here's the purpose clause, here's what it all comes out to, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal bodies. We are jars of clay, mud jugs, cracked pots. Why? Why did God make us so weak? Why did God make us so frail? So that the the all-surpassing power of God can be revealed in our mortal bodies. So we have no room to glory. We have no room to boast. We have no room to say, oh, look at me, look what I did. No, the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. What's the process? Hard-pressed, perplexed, struck down, persecuted, but never to the point of being destroyed, always being to the point of being broken by God. Look at 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. Here's the Apostle Paul's testimony of this very thing. Paul says this, Therefore, in order to keep me from being, becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I take delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, I am strong. 
there was a very real potential for the Apostle Paul to become proud. He had received an abundance of revelations from God. God had talked to him directly. And Paul says in order to keep him from becoming conceited with pride, God gave him a thorn in the flesh. Oh yeah, Satan tried to use it to get to him, but it was from God to deal with his pride. Wow, the Apostle Paul says, I boast all the more gladly about my weakness. What do we boast about in our life? We usually boast about our successes. We, we, we boast about our greatness. We boast about our strengths. Paul says he boasts about his weaknesses, his failings, his inabilities. Look, Christ's power might rest on him. What do we try to do with our weaknesses? We try to hide them, don't we? Yeah. We don't want anybody to see how weak we are. You know that when we do that, we also hide the power of God at work within us? Breaking is not fun. Believe me, it's not fun. It's one we would rather pass on But the objective of the suffering is to stimulate a faith response to God, thereby develop our godliness. Romans 8.28, probably one of my favorite verses in Scripture. It begins, and we know. I like that. People forget that part. And we know. Here's something we can know for sure, absolutely, no questions. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God is working all things together for good. You know what the problem is there? My definition of good is not the same as God's definition of good. My definition of good is comfortable, convenient, no problems, everything's going smooth, my wife loves me, my kids love me, the dog, well, forget the dog. But, you know, that's my definition of good. God's definition of good is godly. All things work together to produce godliness within us. That's what he's doing. There's there's a positive and a negative concept to temptation. On the positive side, God tests us for the purpose of approval. In every suffering, every trial, every tribulation we go through is a test and God wants to use that to approve us. Go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work 
so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Testing drives the point home. Count it all joy because God is using it to produce godly character within us. Testing is getting it out of our heads and into our lives. You know, again, God is not pleased with us just knowing truth in our heads. He wants us to live it. So that's the positive side of testing. The negative side of testing is Satan wants to use the problems, the testings, the trials as an invitation for us to sin. In in James chapter 1, again, go down to verse 12. James 1, 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. And the idea here, God is not tempting me to do evil. Okay. (coughs) For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, again, with evil. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin when it is full grown gives birth to death. God never invites people to sin. So, in every trial, every testing that we go through, God is testing us for the purpose of approval. Satan is tempting us, inviting us to sin. (coughs) Excuse me. Here's where we come in. We now choose which direction we're going to go. Are we going to follow God and become approved by God? Are we going to follow Satan and sin? The choice is ours. So what does it mean to be taken by temptation? The idea is to be overtaken or to be chased by. It's to be overtaken suddenly, without warning. Have you ever been there? You're just going on your daily life and everything's going well. Maybe you had your time with the Lord. Maybe you're meditating on Scripture. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, bam, some kind of a temptation comes your way. Some kind of a testing comes your way. You didn't see it coming. You're broadsided by it. That's what it means. There's no temptation taken you, overcome you, hit you broadside, but it's common to mankind. In other words, this is an experience that we should be expecting to come. I once heard someone present the plan of salvation, and in the plan of salvation, he says, you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, and your life will be wonderful. Yeah, right on that. (laughs) Uh, Christian life is not a bed of roses. 
what it is is the pathway to a bed of roses. <laughs> we choose which path we want to go down. In other words, there's no reason to fall apart. There's no, why me, God? Why, you know, no reason to be devastated. What God wants us to do is simply believe him. It's there. It's there for a reason. Now what are we going to do about it? So back again in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful who will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Now let's just stop there. The key to overcoming trials and tribulations and temptations is this. It's not my... What is the word? Um, my ability? That's not the word I'm thinking of. Self-control? No, that's not it. It's not my anything. God is faithful. That's the key. That's, that is the truth to be believed. God is faithful. The first thing we need to know when going through trials and tribulations is God is faithful. We're not going to turn to it this morning, but 1 Peter 5.10, he's the God of all grace. 2 Corinthians 1.3, he's the Father of all mercy. 2 Corinthians 1.3, he's the God of all comfort. 1 Peter 5.7, God cares for you. When it says God is faithful, it means he is faithful to who he is. And who he is? He's gracious, he's merciful, he's full of comfort, he cares. When we are going through trials and tribulations, I know I do this, maybe you don't, but I begin to question the character of God. You know, God, what, why are you letting all this happen in my life? God, now you knew this was coming. It didn't take you by surprise. So, you know, why didn't you do something about this, God? We question the character of God. We need to remember that God is always true to his character. He goes on and says, God will not allow you to be tempted above what you're able to bear. All right, are you ready for a paradox this morning? Here we go. God will never allow you to be tested above what you're able to bear. Here's the other side. Every testing that comes our way is more than I can bear. How can they both be true? Here it is. The word here is, is, is that... I don't want to... I'm going to throw a Greek word at you. Okay, you're big enough. You can, you can stand it. The word here is dunamis. It's the word for power. We get our word dynamite from it, okay? God will give us the power to bear it. It's not our power, it's his power. It's not my fleshly energy, it's God's dynamite power in my life. 
So if I try to deal with every trial, tribulation, stress in my own strength, I can't bear it. So every problem is more than I can bear. But if I am dependent upon God's power, then every trial, tribulation, testing in my life, I can deal with because I'm dealing with it in God's power. And what it really comes down to is this. How do we view our circumstances in life? Which is more real to us? Our circumstances or the power of God? Many times the circumstances of life, those are the things I see with my eyes and hear with my ears. And you know, Those things are tangible things and they become more real to me than the word of God. What God has promised. You know, as you read the Old Testament, one of the things you see is that the children of Israel were a whiny group of people. They complained when they didn't have water. They complained when they didn't have food. They complained when they did have food, when they did have water. They just complained and whined the whole time. Aren't you, aren't you glad we're not like that? <laughs> Whimpering was a lifestyle for the children of Israel. No matter what God did for them, they wouldn't trust him. And we're not any different. We enjoy whimpering. I think that's the way we use to get attention sometime. Look at poor me. Oh, bother. It's my favorite character in Winnie the Pooh. I'm sorry. It's Eeyore. God intends us to become stronger through testing, not to whimper. And then it says in this verse, God will provide the way of escape. Now, I'm real particular in my reading and studying the Word of God, and I don't think there's any small words. Every word is important. And I think the, the, one of the most important words here is the little article, the. He provides the way of escape. The means one, okay? It's not a way, one of many. It is the way. The way of escape. I'm going to talk a lot about that in the, in the weeks to come after Christmas and New Year's. We're going to talk about the way that God has laid out for us to live the Christian life, to grow in our godliness. Just for now, I'm going to give you a little, a little tidbit. It involves faith, the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit. Okay? Those three things are key to understanding how to live the Christian life. And then finally, let me read again. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation, trial, testing, suffering has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. God is faithful to his character. He will not... Let you be tempted above what you can bear in his power. But when you are tempted, he will also provide the way out so that you can endure it, not escape it. 
We would rather escape it, wouldn't we? We'd rather have the formula. We'd rather have the way saying, okay, do this, 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 and you can get out of your pickle. God says no. His power and strength is not so that you can get out of it, but so that you can endure it. may be able to endure it. In there, there's a choice. A choice that we make. God says, here here is the plan. Here's the direction. Here's the way to go. Now, which way are you going to choose to go? God will provide the way of escape way to endure it. The trials don't go away, do they? Some of you have been undergoing trials and tribulations for years. The same trial, the same tribulation, it's just one that has followed you down through the years. Sometimes we think it's more than we can bear, don't we? I know I do. But when I think that, and I think about quitting, think about bailing out, I think about running away, and then God reminds me, you know, I've got a plan. I've got a plan that will enable you to endure it with joy. Remember the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. There's no reason that we have to go through life with long faces. But we've got to figure out God's, God's way, God's plan, how he's going to do it. Another key we'll be talking about in weeks to come is that God is real. The commandments of the word of God are there for us to believe. Many times we get so busy thinking about doing, what do I have to do, what do I have to do, what do I have to do? And God says, I just want you to believe this truth. If you believe this truth, then this will happen. Many times it's just a matter of believing. The problem is, many times I don't believe God. Well, God has a grace for us. You're saying, boy, what a downer just before Christmas. You know, why all this negativity? It's because in the many years that I've dealt with people, I have found that there are more people struggling at Christmas time than there are those who are going through the happy Madison Avenue stereotype Christmas time. And if you're struggling, I want to give you some peace today. I want to give you some hope today. That yes, Christmas might not be all that they say it's supposed to be, but there is joy. We sing that song, Joy in the Morning. Let's use the trials and tribulations that God has given us in order to grow in our godliness and our walk with him. Let's not let him get us down. Let's not let Satan win that battle to encourage us to sin. But rather, let's use these struggles in order that we might be approved by God. Let's bow together in prayer.